This is the Brooklyn Trolley Blogger, Michael LeColin, and on behalf of Sam Maxwell, welcome to the 147th episode of a Bedford and Sullivan podcast, the podcast that keeps you, the audience, active listeners in the Brooklyn Dodgers TV series research process. I thank Sam Maxwell once again for lending me the controls to the time machine today. Bedford and Sullivan will partly focus on Brooklyn's other professional baseball team, the Brooklyn Royal Giants. My guest and I, we will present to you a snapshot in time, uh, that being the 1918 season. Specifically, John Wesley Donaldson's lone campaign with the Brooklyn Royal Giants. But more importantly, John Donaldson's Hall of Fame worthy career achievements. Uh, Our guest is based in Minnesota and leads a group of historians dedicated to discovering the lost legacy of John Wesley Donaldson, educating us on the career and life of one of the more incredible and inspiring athletes to ever play the game and how his amazing legacy became lost to a nation. is Negro League baseball historian and founder of the Donaldson Network, Mr. Peter Gorton, Hello, and welcome back to a Bedford and Sullivan podcast, sir. Well, thank you, Michael. I appreciate you having me and, and, the, uh, and the continued interest in the great Negro Leagues baseball player, John Donaldson. I do appreciate it. Well, again, thank you for your time. Thank you for joining us, and, and thank you for engaging in this conversation with me. Uh, if you don't <laughs> mind, please tell us a little, about, a little bit about yourself, your inspiration, uh, the Donaldson Network itself, and how people can uh, stay on track and, and abreast of the volumes of information selflessly handed over to the Negro League Baseball Museum. Well, it it started many, many years ago. You said 20, I'm in my 21st year, right? I mean, John Donaldson, the first time I ever heard his name was August 20th of 2000. Um, that day stands out to me because... Since that day, I've thought about John Donaldson every day since. Um, This is not an effort that is what I pick up on weekends. This is something I do every single day. Um, The Donaldson Network is the part of that that's really important and very special about it is I realized early on that this guy's career was so spread out and so uh, there was so much detailed information that I couldn't do it by myself. So I engaged many Negro League historian people, uh, many uh, people who had interest in history in general, uh, and got people to help me understand who John Donaldson was uh, through a 20-year, over 20-year journey, right? John Donaldson's known to have played in 744 different towns that we know of right now, um, and it expands and changes all the time um, going up. So imagine that you're having to go between 750 different towns in the United States. How are you going to find that information? Well, what the Donaldson Network does is it finds people in these towns and asks them if they'll please go to their newspaper office or whatever source of information it is and tell us about John Donaldson. We did this just this last week in um, northern Minnesota. John Donaldson was there in 1923. We had some scant idea of when the game was called up a guy, talked to him on the phone for 10 minutes, told him the dates to go look for. He went and took photos um, with his iPhone 
of the actual newspaper, and now we got another John Donaldson box score. It's an important thing that we've been doing in order to rebuild the legacy of this great baseball player that has seemingly been lost to time because of many decisions that our grandparents and great-grandparents made um, in this country about segregation. And so basic, that's a real basic um, idea of what the Donaldson Network is uh, because he was so lost, because he was so spread out, we've been able to build this group of people who have one vision in mind, and that's to tell John Donaldson's story, and that's what, I'm, that's what I do on a, on a daily basis. Let's jump right in. Let's talk John Donaldson and baseball. Uh, before we pick up this story in 1918, you know, it, it's worth definitely worth noting that upon his arrival in Brooklyn, John Donaldson is already a 10-year veteran. He's already in association with some of the game's most prominent people, uh, Mr. Wilkinson, uh, Rube Foster's just named two. And like Reggie Jackson once said, I'm not going to New York to be a star. I'm bringing my star with me. So here he is, he's 27 years old. Yeah, he's 27 years old, and he's entering his – that's the man who's on his way to Brooklyn. That's right. And and, and the, the, Jackson, Jackson, or the, um, the Reggie Jackson quote is true for John Donaldson, except before that, um, before John Donaldson's opportunity to go to Brooklyn in 1918 – they didn't have black stars. Um, there weren't uh, nationally known African-American baseball stars. Uh, and that's a key thing to understand, is there were some people who had regional um, acclaim. There were some um, ball players who had, uh, had reached a certain level of success. But John Donaldson was famous when he showed up in New York. And, and just like Reggie Jackson said, and I would assume that was in the 1970s, um, you know, 50 years before that, John Donaldson was bringing his star to New York in a very dangerous time in our country's history. We're knowing more about on a daily basis in terms of the pandemic. I mean, it was the height of the flu pandemic as well. World War I was raging. Uh, it was very uncertain time in America, at that, and, and especially for an African-American man. So to bring his star to the Big Apple, uh, was a significant thing at that time. And that's the exact context that this story needs. Okay, so let's pick up the story in 1918. He doesn't start with Brooklyn. He starts with the Indianapolis ABCs. And ultimately, push comes to shove, he decides to leave. Tell us why. (laughs) Well, let let me back up a little bit more. There's an interesting thing that's happening because of the war effort. And maybe you know this and maybe you don't, but the uh, Air Force was located in Indianapolis. Um, they used the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, as it was back then, um, for training pilots on these new things called airplanes. Um, and that's something your audience needs to understand, that when we look back at John Donaldson's career, you need to understand that uh, much of the, all, if not all, of the travel would surface, and he had to go from place to place, and it just wasn't that easy uh, to get around. So in Indianapolis, John Donaldson um, hailed as a star in Indianapolis, brought on by the ABC. Uh, they're having a exhibition game against um, an all-white team in Indianapolis. John Donaldson's warming up by home plate. And back in those days, the starting pitchers would warm up in front of the grandstand 
so people who paid the extra money could see them up close or much closer than you could from your general seats. So um, many times people wonder why they're, uh, if you look at pictures of old, at least Met- Metropolitan Stadium here in Minnesota, uh, many old-time ballparks have these little, what look like on-deck circles uh, that were right behind home plate. And, and you wouldn't have a warm-up batter standing in there throwing the ball, uh, or, I mean, swinging the bat, right? That was where the starting pitchers stood before the game started and threw the ball towards the grandstand so people could watch them warm up. And that's why you get these uh, images of, uh, you know, the Christy Mathewson and, and uh, uh, Walter Johnson and those people of that era uh, warming up. They're not necessarily warming up on the pitcher's mound. They're warming up right next to home plate because that's what they did. Anyway, so John Donaldson in, in Indianapolis at Washington Park um, – and he's warming up for a game, and over the head comes uh, a biplane, and it's throwing out baseballs with streamers attached to them, right? It was some kind of war effort, uh, try to raise money for the war tax, um, get as many people out there as you could get, and wouldn't it be nice if we went home with a a baseball souvenir that was thrown out of an airplane? Well, one of these... uh, one of these baseballs that has a streamer attached to it gets caught up in the airplane's uh, steering apparatus, right? It's all above, uh, on, on the surface of the aircraft itself, little wires, kind of like a bicycle that has uh, these brake cables that are exterior to the pipes, right? Um, and it gets caught up, the plane sputters and spins around and crashes right behind second base with a huge explosion, and if man loses his life who's in there, um, in the airplane, the other guy walks away. Um, that was all a part of trying to make money. They were using different types of tricks, different types of uh, things to be able to draw crowds, much like they do today. Uh, bobblehead dolls or, or Star Wars night or you name it. They still do that same type of thing around the game today. Um, back then they had this airplane that was flying by and it was doing stunts. Um, well, it crashed. The guy died. Uh, ruin happens there. Uh, the ABC franchise is in uh, turmoil, as most Negro League franchise, franchises were. Now, they had John Donaldson, um, the bankable star, on their team. Um, they could draw a certain amount of people no matter when it was because of his drawing power alone. Uh, once they go after this tragic plane crash, in the, in the middle of the baseball field um, in 1907, in 19, that time, there was, um, they go back on the road. They asked John Donaldson to take a pay cut. John Donaldson said, no, I don't take, I, I'm not taking a pay cut. You're going to pay me what you said you were going to pay me. Uh, okay, no, we're not going to. They cut him loose. At exactly that time, Dick Redding um, is called away to service um, with the Brooklyn Royal Giants. And, so the Brooklyn Royal Giants need a, a star pitcher. Uh, Redding's going to go to the service overseas. Um, they bring John Donaldson in as a stopgap measure because he's available, um, because they can probably uh, – they need to fill the grandstand. And John Donaldson was that guy who had this national reputation to be able to draw crowds wherever he went. And so that's how John Donaldson gets to Brooklyn. He doesn't start there until uh, – until June of late June of that year, so he's almost played half a full season by the time he gets to Brooklyn. Right, and 
Coming east was no minor decision, as his career would reveal. He never really comes back. So this was indeed a, a big decision. And, of course, Matt Strong could afford to, you know, have him. But, you know, I, I'm imagining that perhaps he could have went to Philly or even the Lincoln Giants. But, sure. no, he came to the Brooklyn Royal Giants. Uh, sure. I was wondering if he had any, any detail into that. Yeah, well, there's, you know, and, and with, with Negro League baseball players, because of the t- tenuous nature of the, uh, you know, the, the background of each franchise, there was, you know, you didn't, it was more week to week or day to day than it was month to month. Um, so it was uh, something they were constantly trying to keep together. Uh, and that's an important thing to understand. There were many other factors that may have prohibited John Donaldson from coming back to uh, the East Coast to play in the mid-1920s. And that was primarily the formation and his known association with Nat Strong um, and the Eastern Colored League and how that took over the primarily Midwestern Negro National League uh, after the 1922 season, when 1923, when they started the Eastern Colored League, there was a player war, right? So you got all these Negro League franchises in various states of financial uh, success um, trying to figure out how they're going to field the team the next year. And now you have the Eastern Color League coming in, promising these guys more money, promising more stability on the East Coast, uh, and raiding franchises of players. And that happened in several cases. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it was essentially competition, right? You're breaking up the monopoly that was the Negro National League um, and starting a rival league on the East Coast, because, and that becomes the East Coast Midwestern sort of battle between Rube Foster and Nat Strong. And if we can, let's fast forward to his reason for leaving. And this is when I have to laugh at myself and expose my East Coast bias because uh, you and I, we spoke before this podcast and I posed this scenario. Well, Nat Strong could afford him and had, you know, John Donaldson held out one more year and stayed around. Uh, I think John Connor former owner of the Brooklyn Royal Giants and now becoming the new financier of the Atlantic City Backrack Giants, I think he would have wholeheartedly tried to raid him from the Royal Giants roster as he did with uh, uh, Pop Lloyd. So I imagine this whole thing, but I'm more interested in the actual answer because the person involved, again, this is part of my East Coast bias, and the person involved is part and parcel to the history of Negro League Baseball. So his reason for leaving Brooklyn. Um, his reason for leaving Brooklyn is because Rube Foster is talking about making the Negro National League for years before he does that, before it actually happens in 1920. The 1919 season, John Donaldson and Lloyd and um, even Oscar Charleston, I believe, go to D- Detroit and play for the Detroit Stars, Jose Mendez. Um, there's this great Detroit Stars team in 1919 for some inexplicable reason. Um, and that is because Rube Foster is getting these guys together uh, so that he can make Negro League franchises. Uh, and then he splits that. Subsequently, that Detroit Stars team in 1919 goes separate ways and are seeds and parts of three or four different Negro National League franchises. Um, John Donaldson and Rube Foster knew each other well. Um, Rube Foster probably could never afford John Donaldson at the times that he wanted to have him at the height of his prowess, right? Um, but Rube was always trying to make his his uh, financial statement balance, right? I mean, that's important. Uh, 
And so Ruth Foster's big in, of course, the founding of the Negro National League. But I would say that it was a certain time when you could have, uh, after Wilkinson drops himself out of the uh, All-Nations team in 1917 because of the war effort and everybody's taking a bath um, in terms of entertainment, uh, I think by the time Rube Foster steps in, you could call John Donaldson the Rube Foster guy in those couple of years before the starting of the Negro National League, where he's trying to get this with this instability of the national landscape, he's trying to get a couple of guys that he can put together. And John Donaldson's a key to the starting of the Negro National League because they put the Keystone franchise in Kansas City. And John Donaldson and J.L. Wilkinson are going to build the Kansas City Monarchs around John Donaldson's star power. But the key to understanding John Donaldson's thing is, or his, his emphasis is that he is able to be that star. He's able to draw the crowds to watch. He is able to be that kind of person that young African-American boys can look to as being a hero and a star. He is somebody they can aspire to be. He's uh, often maligned, I guess, uh, sometimes uh, criticized for his uh, incredible sort of choir boy nature, right? He doesn't smoke. He doesn't drink. He doesn't curse. He doesn't stay out late. Um, this is something that ball players were known for at that time. Uh, baseball playing, being a baseball player, was not necessarily something your mother wanted her sons to be able to be doing because it wasn't considered something that was uh, upstanding. And so John Donaldson had to, had to do, as in so many endeavors of African-Americans, he had to really play harder because uh, um, and, and build this reputation of being super squeaky clean. Um, that was his thing. He was a church-going guy. He was not afraid of talking about that. He was uh, all along being the star of the team everywhere he went. Look, it's no different today than it was in 1918. The players know who the best player on the team is. Now, Michael, you might go 0 for 4, but you could, in this example, you could be the best player on the team, and they all knew it, but somebody else just got the better of them on that day. And players understand baseball, and they understand that uh, you're not going to be 100, you're not going to bat 1,000 all the time. Uh, but everybody knows the reputation and the balls and baseball skills of the best player on the team. Look, I play 50-year-old men's league now. Right? I can tell you who the best player on the team is just by, uh, on the field um, in the same games that I'm playing in every time I go there, and that's no different in any uh, level of baseball and has never been different even from 1919. My point is, is that John Donaldson is considered the best player on the field everywhere he goes. If his success dictates that or he, he had a 20-strikeout game every single time, uh, that's not what – in terms of history, modern historians like to knock him for is he has some uh, scattered success against Smokey Joe Williams uh, in Brooklyn in 1918. Well, everybody had trouble with Smokey Joe Williams in 1918, and Smokey Joe Williams <laughs> is in the Hall of Fame. Um, and so that's, you know, John Donaldson's record against Joe Williams was uh, one and five or two and six. Uh, that's different if, it's, if he's playing against you and me. But he's playing against one of the greatest ever. 
And because Smokey Joe Williams is unknown, relatively unknown, um, he's been in the Hall of Fame a long time. Uh, people, especially modern historians, tend to uh, devalue what that loss of his means and what Joe, because of how great Joe Williams was. Does that make sense? Uh, absolutely. Uh, if, if there's anything that, you know, people of today might have in common with people of 100 years ago or even 1918, it's their sensibility over money. Uh, John, Don, John Donaldson was paid a, a pretty penny, but that means Nat Strong was making more. And people back yeah. ballparks to see John Donaldson, and that speaks for itself. So I'm in lockstep with what you say. Uh, and it just points to John Donaldson's outstanding earning potential. You know, because I'm here in 1918, but he has a long career after leaving Brooklyn, and he earns a lot of money, precedent-setting money, if I does. may say so. Yeah. So people ask me that all the time. I mean, how much – how does – John Donaldson's great, we call it great salary, right, uh, compared to what Babe Ruth is. It's minuscule, and I would say it's 10%, um, maybe even less. Um, if John, but that's what earning potential was at that time and, and the difference between major league stars and Negro league stars. Uh, the Negro league stars had their own hierarchy as well in terms of who got paid and how much they got paid. Um, and that was very much in flux from year to year, almost from day to day. Uh, John Donaldson could make somewhere like $150 a game, which seems like, you know, I don't know about you, but uh, maybe you're carrying 150 bucks in cash around in your pocket right now. Um, that doesn't seem like a lot, but on, a, on the grander scale and what research and history shows is that uh, African-Americans pay was very, very much less than their white counterparts, and to a great extent, that's the same today. You mentioned uh, Joe Cyclone Williams. We, yeah. we prearranged this. But let's rapid fire a couple of games because I, I think John Donaldson suffered more bad luck than anything. Uh, at no point do I think he ever got outclassed by Smokey Joe. So let's let's, that is let's true. go to June thirty. Let's go to June 30th versus the New York Lincoln Giants at Olympic Field in Harlem. John Donaldson's first start for the Brooklyn Royal Giants and his New York City debut. Yes, John Donaldson took the loss, nine innings. He allowed one run, seven hits, two walks, and two strikeouts. Joe Williams earns the win, nine innings, shutout. Two hits, one walk, four strikeouts. Joe Williams scored the only run of the game. That's a tough luck loss. What say you? You'd have, to, you'd have to think that. But, look, you've got a guy who's coming in um, from a competitive standpoint. Let's think about this just briefly. And, and it, just think about it from a competitive standpoint. Um, all this buildup, who is this John Donaldson guy, right? He's called the Iowa Wonder. He's called uh, the greatest colored pitcher in the world. Um, from his days with the All Nations team, isn't driving, traveling around uh, primarily in the Midwest, right? But anywhere there wasn't a major league team, because every time he plays in Chicago, the paper in Chicago says, why isn't he playing in the major leagues? Um, this is why John Donaldson's career is forced to be somewhere so far away, which in those days was Montana, North Dakota, Minnesota, um, North and South Dakota, Nebraska, et cetera, et cetera. Um, 
that was far away from a major league team in those days. Um, that was really important for him to do that in terms of going as far away from them to keep the major leagues uh, justified, I guess, in their exclusion of black players. I mean, they just were trying to uh, perpetuate this thing they were doing um, that black players weren't good enough to play in the major leagues. And that's, we all know today is not true, right? So we have John Donaldson, we have Smokey Joe Williams. Smokey Joe's waiting and warming up in that on-deck circle, right? And he's warming up. And see, who's this John Donaldson guy, right? Smokey Joe Williams, uh, Cyclone Joe Williams, is, is uh, well-established. People know who he is. People know of his greatness. Um, his greatness has led him all the way to the Hall of Fame. Uh, here comes, I could tell you this, that Smokey Joe Williams played his best game that day because he knew that the famous John Donaldson was there, and he turned it up a notch because – uh, and only was ma- able to manage the one to zero win, and so yeah, we can call it tough luck. And you know, a lot of a lot of, pe- a lot of pitchers get that sort of rap. Um, Nolan Ryan, for instance, has so many games in the major leagues where he had terrible run support. Jacob Degrom, I don't need to tell New Yorkers about that. Uh, you know, run support matters. Uh, one little hit, one little change here and there. We talk about John Donaldson beating Smokey Joe Williams in his New York debut. Uh, part of that. Uh, is, was very advantageous for Joe Williams to win that game. And who could blame John Donaldson? I mean, he's rolling in here. Uh, he's shaking hands with the guys and going out there. Um, that's a, right. uh, some, you know, it's not like he got a, he took a, a overnight or red-eye flight from Indianapolis into New York and could suit up like they do now um, from AAA to the majors, right? Um, it's not, it took four days to get there. He's coming off a train. He's been to New York maybe before, but certainly not enough to feel comfortable. Uh, here he comes out of the Midwest in the middle of this pandemic that everybody's, you know, you're on a train, you're a go to church, people dying, right? Uh, this happens. This happened to him. He is going towards the heart of the beast, and he is trying to uh, succeed as much as possible, uh, but has a remarkable amount of success leading up to that. Uh, has a remarkable amount of success considering all the social things that are going on at that time. Well, there's other things. I want to do a lot. I mean, and then the other side of that, which I constantly try to tell people, is Smokey Joe Williams and John Donaldson, they may or may not be looking down at Michael and I who are talking on this podcast right now. But I tell you what, when they faced off on that June day, whatever it was, in 1918, they weren't going to stand there thinking that two guys were going to be talking about them a hundred years later. And that's an interesting thing, I think too, in terms of they weren't playing for their historical legacies. They were playing to make money. They were playing to uh, advance the, uh, the black and black baseball. Um, it's important that uh, people today realize that this was two of the game's biggest stars and would have been, you know, right there in New Yankee stadium had people not had, some of these games is just to highlight uh, the all-around athlete that, that John Donaldson was, pitching-wise, hitting-wise, and fielding-wise. Uh, he makes his second start on the 4th of July, a shutout, his Dexter Park debut over the Cuban Stars, mm-hmm. five hits, six strikeouts, his first win with the Brooklyn Royal Giants. Yeah, that was a big one on the East Coast. And uh, uh, the Stars were great. I mean, they yeah. had great players, too. Um, and and you gotta you gotta imagine that these teams 
they're all independents at this time, right? Because there's no league. Uh, and so they have to do uh, – they can't rely on the league to send them a schedule or they can't rely on the league to promote them. These guys are playing from day to day, week to week, almost uh, night to night trying to get, uh, you know, as many people to come to these games as possible. And this quite plain is they have some of the greatest Negro League players that are available at that time. The war effort really crushed everything in terms of supply of players. Um, the major leagues were considering uh, integration of baseball at that time because there were so few players. So many of the players were drafted into World War I, um, both black players and white players, uh, that the, but Major League Baseball was considering maybe this is the time we got to have more players come in and integrate baseball. This idea that 1945 or 46, Branch Rickey wakes up one morning and he decides, I'm going to integrate baseball. Uh, they've been trying to integrate baseball for decades before that happened. Uh, Ricky had his opportunity, he had his chance, he had World War II finishing up, but all of this comes because of players like John Donaldson who build the building blocks of segregation in the game. And so many places where John Donaldson played and so many of the 2,500 games we have him playing in are where he's the only black person on the field. And that's an example to all moving forward. They needed somebody to figure out if that would work or not. And they have the example of John Donaldson to be able to do that, which changes what his uh, appreciation should be going forward infinitely. And that's the story we want to tell people. I have a big smile on my face because I know this is all going to culminate well. On July 7th, Brooklyn Royal Giants returned to Olympic Field. They played the Lincoln Giants. John Donaldson suffers a loss again. He, he allows three runs, nine hits. Uh, but what he doesn't accomplish on the mound, he accomplishes at the plate with three hits, including a triple and a run scored. Joe Williams earns the win. Uh, he allows nine hits and strikes out eight. Uh, in my words, another tough luck loss as I see it, uh, a rather large crowd on hand to witness it. Uh, he follows that up with a victory over Bushwick, uh, a team that I hold near and dear here locally in Brooklyn. Uh, at Dexter Park, uh, in this game, two fielding assists, uh, something, you know, that we can track better than we can RBIs. You know, I'll, I'll get into that point later, but it's a shame that we couldn't track RBIs because I know Oliver Marcel and Joe Hewitt were on base numerous times and scored, and I had a hunch that John Donaldson drove them in, <laughs> you know. So, uh, but that was what he was known for. He was an all-around player. He was fast. Yeah. He could lay the bunt down. Um, this is not uh, wait for the three-run homer like they're doing at uh, City Field today. I mean, they're just – it's not that. This is station-to-station um, -station baseball. This is uh, uh, bunch your way on, steal second base, move you over, score the run. I mean, look at the, the, the scores of the games that you have, uh, you have so astutely given us. Um, it isn't 15-14. to 14. Uh, these are low-scoring games, and this is the style of baseball at that time that the Negro Leagues were particularly uh, known for uh, playing that style of baseball, even though the major leagues uh, didn't necessarily adopt that. So it's an interesting thing to, that the scores are low, but the crowds are high. Uh, this is, you're right, having those other great players, Marcel, 
and others to be able to move them around the bases. This is a team game, and John Donaldson was known for not only his power, uh, his speed, um, his throwing ability, um, his ability to steal bases, uh, his ability to bat for average. I mean, he's a five-tool player uh, who happens to be a pitcher as well, but he's also playing outfield uh, every day he's not pitching. So it isn't like it's one every four days or come up once every five days in some sort of rotation. No, John Donaldson's playing uh, at an alarming rate of baseball uh, at that time. Let me set the record straight for our audience. Uh, on behalf of baseball fans, thank you and congratulations on this great feat of baseball research that we're here discussing. After our last podcast together in March, you furnished me, mm-hmm. no, excuse me, you gifted me with John Donaldson's 1918 file with the Brooklyn Royal Giants. Uh, yeah. I used it on my blog to bring back to life the articles, the box scores, games, and accounts of John Donaldson. Uh, and in all sincerity, like grasshopper to sensei, through your <laughs> teaching, I'm near completed with Brooklyn's inaugural 1904 season. I owe that That's to fantastic. you. That's fantastic. And show me a, a path and, and how to get this done. So I, I can't begin mm-hmm. to explain how much fun I had presenting this 1918 season. Well, you're welcome, and thank you for saying that. That's a, such an important thing, right? Today's uh, hyper-concentration on war numbers and these sort of modern last 20 years uh, perspectives on, I, I, you know, i got to be able to have a, uh, OPS plus plus or uh, the saber metrics types of things really can be looked at in different ways of excluding people as much as it tells us who the best players are um, in terms of statistics. Uh, what we're not doing is we're not encouraging people enough. Um, our research has always been available to anybody who wants it. Um, if you want to go figure out more about the 19. 19- 18 season in Indianapolis or Los Angeles or the California Winter League, our stuff is here. This is what the Donaldson Network is about. It isn't me holding it all in a box in my basement, as was traditional research. Uh, if you have a real interest in something and want to learn and advance uh, the genre, I'm learning, we'll step right up and hand it right to you because I think it's very important that we find out more about Oliver Marcel and we found out more about Brooks and we find out more of these Lincoln giant guys, not just pop Lloyd who makes it to the hall of fame or not just his opponent, Smokey Joe Williams. All of these guys play with other players who had renown of some sort in order to get to the level that they got to. And this idea that we should get some sort of uh, magic number that comes out of a magic box that shows everybody who the greatest players were and everyone else is garbage, in my opinion, drips of prejudice and racism. Uh, I think it's important that we try and remember that in the team photographs that we have of John Donaldson and others, uh, there's other players in here. There's other people whose lives are affected by, these, by John Donaldson and others. There is other people that John Donaldson is mentoring and being with and trying to help Baseball is not a one-pitcher game, especially in this time. You need to have 
eight other players to win games. Look, John Donaldson, you know, the games we just talked about, John Donaldson's guys uh, bleed a single into the outfield. Um, they move that guy all the way around. He beat Smokey Joe Williams 1-0, to zero, and we're not going to tell Smokey Joe Williams he's no good now because his war is less than it was. Uh, this is ridiculous. We need to be able to listen and look around and value the lessons that these, t- these uh, ball- great ball players have to teach us and not just get caught up in, well, a certain database says that he did this or a certain database said that. There's room for people like you who showed a genuine interest in 1918 that I'd gladly give it to you if you advance the ball and take us a little farther because I am really busy with John Donaldson in his 32 other seasons that he plays in. Uh, that's important right. for what the Donaldson Network is about. I want to encourage you and all the questions you ask, uh, I want to help you understand that and understand that, look, we're going to have to stick together because there's a lot of people out there who want to say that these guys are no good because they're average against somebody who we arbitrarily pick um, or their major league, this new one, major league equivalency um, doesn't rank as high as you would think it would. Well, that's, uh, I, I can't help you with that. I can help you find uh, 719 pitching appearances in 744 different towns, 2,500 baseball games, um, in 31 states and provinces, I mean, I can help you do that, and I can help you tell the story of a great American hero. If it doesn't line up to your war or your whatever stat you want to make it, um, you're not taking into account the time that John Donaldson plays, the time that Smokey Joe Williams plays. Uh, it matters, and it matters who's in the stands. And it matters who, uh, how you get to games. It matters you can't equate uh, statistical analysis for a lot of these guys. I know that people want to do that, and their passion is about doing that, and more power to them. But if you're going to do it at the exclusion of the other players who are around and summarily throw them out because um, their numbers don't line up, uh, we're losing out again on what segregation cost us. And that was these guys, particularly John Donaldson's ability to be able to have lasting legacy because segregation wanted him gone. Segregation saw that John Donaldson belonged in the major leagues and they sent him away. And they not only sent him away, they sent him away and buried him hoping he'd never come back. Uh, And they did a very good job of that. But only more recently when we as a team of people came together to try and put this gigantic puzzle piece back together, do we start to realize the common theme was everybody thought he was the greatest player at every ballpark he went to. And that is an important thing to understand. Ball players understand that. The general public needs to think about that as one of their reasonings before they just part and parcel, throw them out the window because of some advanced metric stat that doesn't seem to add up to what the stories told about him uh, reflect. I just think it's important to not throw people out. Look, it was Buck O'Neill's birthday yesterday, right? That day, almost like every day that we live, should be about recognizing people and not just skipping them by or being abrupt with people. Give people the opportunity. What did Buck O'Neill tell us? What did Buck O'Neill teach us? Compassion for one another. Uh, 
understanding that other people have different circumstances in their lives, understanding the color difference between people and traditionally how that was manifested. Uh, we should do this every day, but having just had Buck O'Neill Day yesterday, uh, it, which reminds me all the time, uh, do not minimize contributions of players we know less about. I could sit here and give you a rundown of the Hall of Fame guys um, and give you what my opinion is on them. Uh, that may or may not persuade other people to like them or dislike them, but go look for yourself. Um, one of the great things about the Donaldson Network and what we've been able to do is we throw it all up there. You're not, if you are going to hang around and wait for a summary so that you can repeat what I say to you uh, and make yourself feel like you know more about this stuff, um, I can't help you there. What I can do is I can provide you the information that you never had the opportunity to have before, and then you can decide for yourself, and you can decide however you want. It doesn't really matter to me. I just think that it's important that you take the opportunity to look and see who these players are. You know, what if they batted 199 one season? Or you have any idea what kind of equipment these guys were using? Uh, so what if they didn't field the ball perfectly every time? Do you know what kind of gloves they were using? Uh, so what, do you think they had the greatest possible equipment at all times? Uh, no, they did not. Uh, these we're going to pass up on not only John Donaldson's, but we're going to pass up on guys like William Binga. We're going to t pass up on guys like Oliver Marcel. We're going to pass up uh, guys just because people are going to tell us the summary uh, isn't worthy of us to go look for them. And that's total preposterous totally preposterous, and I think that people need to look and learn from these stories because it's about human beings, how we get along with people, and how we can inspire others, and I want to be able to do that, and I, and I want to be a person who's known for doing that because I know the next person I run into could have a great effect on this genre in terms of black baseball players. I want to be um, as encouraging as possible of them to figure out these players because there's hundreds of them, and people need to go look at them and figure out what they did because there's this idea that this, this league comes around and then that's all the games they play are those league games, and that's just not true. John Donaldson's playing seven days a week. Um, even when he's playing for the Kansas City Monarchs, they're playing all the way to Indianapolis, uh, every small town they can make money in, uh, all the way to Chicago, all the way to Detroit, all the way to all the Negro National League cities. They're just barnstorming. And they're playing games all the time. Um, and so to, to, to minimize the contribution of a Negro National League career as the only games that, they, that you count are from Thursday to Sunday, uh, there's four other days that week uh, that they're playing in other places. And that's wear and tear on people. Look, I just recently had a uh, look at Smokey Joe Williams in terms of his career numbers, uh, how many innings pitched he has. Right? And the innings pitch that are known for Joe Williams' career, um, uh, John Donaldson did in 10 seasons. And how many years did Smokey Joe Williams play? Do you know that? Well, you, your point is well taken. I mean, I'm in complete lockstep with you. I don't yeah. believe in well, nor am Joe I Williams behind for a long carving. Time. Yeah, carving up the numbers minimizes contribution. Uh, because right. of the circumstances which these players had to play in. Uh, my position has always been they 
either accept Negro League Baseball in its history in its entirety and context, or they don't. I don't believe in, uh, again, dicing it up for sake of their own narrative. Uh, I think that's unfair yeah. and unjust. So I'm in complete lockdown. No, I think you could take all the research of the Donaldson Network if you want, if you really had a lot of time. But if you really wanted to, you could slice it and dice it and, and, and three-way slice it to whatever you want it to be. Um, and that's fine. And that stuff is available for you to be able to decide. But I'm telling you what we did was we took a blank piece of paper and we filled it in. And we filled it in to the tune of 2,500 games, uh, you know, as I said, all over the country, and 33 seasons of John Donaldson's life. And there's plenty of other things to do, right? John Donaldson's the first black scout in Major League Baseball history with the Chicago White Sox. He's traveling around in the United States in 49, 50, 51, 52, 53 on a bus, getting from town to town looking for uh, both black and white prospects to put into the Chicago White Sox system. He has a fairly successful career doing that. Uh, He travels all over the place, and everywhere he goes, uh, they write about him in the newspaper. And they write that the scout John Donaldson's here from the Chicago White Sox, and he's he's here to look at Ernie Banks one time. He's here to look at uh, uh, Willie Mays one time. They write about this stuff. John Donaldson's here. He's a known black scout uh, in the major leagues. Uh, he's a star. That's the way after, after integration happens, uh, John Donaldson is seen as a mentor to all these people who want to play in the major leagues. And that's an important thing to understand. His, his career is one thing. Uh, his post-career, his life within the game after, um, and his status as the first black scout in major league baseball history put him on a different plane. And I think that it's important people understand the entirety of his 70-some year career or 70-some year life uh, is, is just as valuable as when he struck out 25 guys one day, uh, wherever it was he did that. All very well said. Uh, we'll talk about his life accomplishments. Uh, very quickly, you know, you brought up Oliver Marcel. I brought him up as well. He was the youngster of that infield in 1918. He was the only 20-some-odd-year-old. Uh, he was 23 years old. He was a okay. rookie that year and went on to okay. spend another 12 years playing baseball. And I point yeah. him out because Bob Kendrick, I heard on his podcast, Black Diamonds, uh, say that he was one of the best, best third basemen ever. And it just goes back yeah. to what you said. If you want to go back and research this and find out, advance the narrative of Oliver Marcel. Well, Urban Brooks for that. That matter. must happen. Uh, Urban Brooks. That must happen. Urban Brooks. I would. I, I, I would Urban offer. Brooks, yep. Urban Brooks as a as a career long Brooklyn Royal Giant. Him and John Donaldson, who are the same age, twenty seven years old, uh, formed mm-hmm. a fine one two punch for the Brooklyn Royal Giants. What say you? I say that uh, that's absolutely right, but it echoes that sort of idea. I mean, you're, I can tell you right now that your audience is saying, "Who's Oliver Marcel?" Uh, look, <laughs> our thing, right? I mean, that's not wouldn't right. be obvious. Right, Oliver Marcel. How do you even spell that? Um, right. I these the the um, reputations and the legacies of these guys have been so shuttered, so put away in boxes, so uh, pre-decided uh, that people have uh, 
they need to understand that there's plenty of room to do work on Oliver Marcel. It's, there's plenty of work to do on John Donaldson. There's plenty of uh, room to do on Brooks. Someone just needs to do that. It's hard work. So why not make it really nice that guys like you and hopefully, hope, I mean myself and hopefully you, will be able to be forthcoming with people about the things that we've found, the things that we've known. My thing is I talked about John Donaldson. John Donaldson's big enough to take up and consume all of my time. There is a tapestry of Negro League baseball out there yet to be discovered. Um, th- we have to encourage people to go out and do that and not be some sort of limiting factor in that tell them that you'll never find that. Or, or these Things are happening all the time, and we are finding out more and stuff about Negro League baseball every minute of every day. And there are people who are passionate doing it. I just am passionate about making certain that we aren't minimizing the contribution of one player as opposed to another one just because we are trying to serve some sort of accolade for that person. Agreed. Uh, very quickly, just to wrap up this 1918 season, uh, and you would yeah. know and be more familiar with John's workload while he was still with the ABCs. And I say that because mm-hmm. I want to point out at some point during his season with the Royal Giants, there were six or seven starts where he continually gave up double-digit hits. Uh, some of them uh-huh. were quite lofty. One game against the Sil- uh, mm-hmm. excuse me, Silk Sox, he gave up 16 hits against Morse Dry, mm-hmm. uh, Dry Dock Company. Uh, over here in Brooklyn, his true Brooklyn debut over here on uh, 2nd mm-hmm. Avenue and 52nd Street on the Brooklyn waterfront, he gave up 19 hits. But my point is this. Mm-hmm. He regrouped and finished very strongly. And, yeah, that lack of success against Joe Williams turns on a dime. In his last three appearances with the Brooklyn Royal Giants on the mound, that is, not necessarily at the plate, he struck out five batters in four innings in relief against the Lincoln Giants, followed that with a shutout against Long Island City, gave up just four hits, and then in his last pitching appearance of the season with the Brooklyn Royal Giants, John Donaldson saves his best for last. He defeats Joe Williams. And this is why I have such a smile on my face. John Donaldson earns a win, one run over nine innings, six hits, one walk, five strikeouts. Williams takes the loss, allows six runs, nine hits, no walks, two strikeouts. A happy ending. A happy ending. What say you? I think that it's important. uh, I just wish that you and I could somehow go back to that time and see the collision of these two uh, comets as they're running, uh, you know, right around the corner from your house. The, uh, it's important that history remembers that this would have been uh, one of the biggest drawing attractions in baseball at that time. Uh, is a success or failure, there's a full, uh, there's a full grandstand. Um, the, we just tend to look at it as uh, – you know, what the box score ended up with. There's side story to the whole thing. Um, John Donaldson, I could tell you, and that's, what is that date on that? It's like October of 1918. Uh, October 12th. And and one thing I'll (laughs) add to this, it was very important that they win this game. Uh, The Royal Giants lost the second game of this twin bill. However, this victory by John Donaldson tied the season series against the Lincoln Giants. And that's the way they ended the season. Because of the war and uh, conditions of the day, they did not play a decisive yeah. game. 
So were it not for this victory, the Lincoln Giants would have claimed victory over the Royal Giants and claimed the championship that year. That's absolutely right. So it was a big game, John, right? I mean, there he yeah. is. Uh, and that's, that's important, and that's something that, um, that makes that 1918 season so remarkable is right less than, uh, less than a month after this, the armistice is signed, right? November 11th. Um, right. The, the, the war, World War I has ended. Uh, what we're doing back home and all the things that led up to that uh, tumultuous three, five, seven years before that uh, had all culminated at that point. And then you're dealing with this pandemic, this flu pandemic, and the sickness, 650,000 people died. Well, that's a lot of people. Uh, there were uh, somewhere around 100 million Americans at that time. Uh, so it's important time to understand. And the Harlem Renaissance is just beginning to happen. Uh, all these things are really sparking at that time. And one could uh, draw lines between uh, black baseball and the Brooklyn Royal Giants as having an effect on all of those things. Uh, pre-1920 is by far my most favorite uh, period of time uh, in both Major League Baseball and New World League Baseball. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, I love this period of time. Uh, we we also mentioned we also we have to cycle back to Dick Cannonball Redding. You mentioned him, yep. uh, and that's sure. part of the reason why John Donaldson came to Brooklyn. Let's talk Hall of Fame. Yeah. Uh, Dick Cannonball okay. Redding, Grant Homerun Johnson, both former members of the Brooklyn Royal Giants, along with John Donaldson. The Hall of Fame undertook a process through which a committee selected 10 players from baseball's pre-1950 era that are under, presently under consideration for enshrinement into the Hall. That vote takes mm-hmm. place on December 5th. Uh, Peter, I'll, I will simply ask you this. Uh, mm-hmm. In all your years of baseball research and, and you know, focusing on John Donaldson, what? as it pertains and relates to Mr. John Donaldson, have you uncovered that's been buried for so long and that people need to understand and, and get this man in, in his rightful place? Well, he, he was, like I said before, he was uh, thoroughly dismissed because of segregation and because of what he did and where he did it. Many people in the particular East Coast think that if it didn't happen over there, it, um, if it happened near the Mississippi River, it almost made it didn't happen. I mean, I've heard this before. Uh, what John, the most important thing to know about John Donaldson is, one, you can forgive yourself for not knowing. Uh, I know a lot of seasoned baseball fans who still have this strange affliction called John Donaldson hoop, which is this thing we're trying to get rid of that is to explain to people how important John Donaldson was. Uh, John Donaldson, who can be, as we talked about before, could be applied to many different Negro League baseball players. But what John Donaldson was that sets him apart from others is his, he was a proven example of how an African-American man could be a known moneymaker. Sure, we had Jack Johnson in boxing, which was the, one of the top three most important uh, the top three most popular sports. Can you tell me what they were at that time? I'll give you baseball and boxing, but what do you, do you think the third one was? Horse racing? Nope. Fly fishing. Pop, most wow. popular sport, fly fishing. 
right? We're not talking about NHL, NFL, NBA. This is different time. Uh, and so different time requires that we think about it in a different way. And because you don't understand uh, pre-Great Depression politics, pre-Great Depression uh, socioeconomic things, uh, that all applies uh, to the myth that John Donaldson became, right? But now as we're getting better at this and as we're figuring this out over the last 20-some years, uh, what we keep uncovering over and over and over again is how many people thought John Donaldson was great. What has become crystal clear is that his demand was high and everybody wanted him because he was a ball player that everyone respected. They knew what they were going to get. They knew they were going to get shut down, power, left-handed pitching. Uh, they knew they were going to get uh, speed on the base pass, team player, uh, good bat. They knew they were getting this. They Teams wanted John Donaldson on to help them win. And John McGraw says that. And Huey Jennings says that. Frank Chance says that. People say this stuff. And we have to remember that they saw him, they knew him, they had something to lose by saying what they were saying uh, because of the time frame they were in. Uh, it, uh, that's an important thing to understand, but the most thing that helps for John Donaldson's case into the Baseball Hall of Fame is what researchers knew before uh, is very much different than what they know now because we have had the ability to apply what, our, what the Donaldson Network does, which could easily be applied to Oliver Marcel, could easily be applied to uh, Cannonball Redding, could easily be applied to any Negro League baseball player because we know where they are. You just have to figure out what they did in between games. Uh, that can be done. The Donaldson Network knows how to do that. And so what history thought and what history did in terms of minimizing John Donaldson's contribution has been ripped off and we have changed the narrative and shown that John Donaldson was and should be considered one of the greatest baseball players in the history of the sport. And if that gets you Hall of Fame status, that's fantastic. But John Donaldson's lesson to us today, we could revere him more if he, would be, if he is to become a baseball Hall of Famer. But the lessons that he has for us on a daily basis um, don't require that he goes to the Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, what we can learn from him today about interacting with people and being there for other people is something that uh, is timeless and it's something that we need to understand they were working on 100 years ago and John Donaldson was the shining star of that. And without John Donaldson's contribution, so much of black baseball history cannot happen because you needed to have that first guy who was able to be put up there as a bona fide star who could draw white fans and black fans to the games because that was the key to sustaining the game. And John Donaldson was that guy. He went out and took the jeers, uh, the, um, the unbelievable amount of abuse he had to take in the places where he took it. Um, John Donaldson did that. And he did that so other people could succeed and excel at the game of baseball who had black skin. And that is something that we need to, uh, we need to 
honor him for today. And if that means Hall of Fame, that means that. That's great. We certainly are going to let those people understand who John Donaldson was and have done that. Uh, but not at the expense of other people. I'd love to sit here and give you a cannonball running dissertation, but I'm not going to. I'd love to come here and give you a, a, a dissertation on any number of the candidates. And you even asked me once about Gil Hodges, what my opinion was on Gil Hodges in, for the Hall of Fame. I can't tell you what that is. I'm focused solely on making sure people understand who John Wesley Donaldson was because he has been so far neglected, so far put away that people need to, uh, we need to take part in resurrecting his career and understanding that he is the, one of the most valuable building blocks leading us to Jackie Robinson of any black baseball player in history. And that's the message I do not want to interfere with. There's so many things that we did not talk about, and that's why I did not ask you. Uh, the trivialities of this whole situation, what you say is is more important than anything. Uh, you know, his documented wins, his documented strikeouts, that's all fine and well. But I think is, I think your message is, is most important. Uh, you know, we know Joe Wilkinson had nothing but good things to say about him. Uh, and again, all the litany of items that we didn't talk about him, even name, help naming the Kansas City Monarchs and being a founding member yeah. of that team, uh, the, the 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 branching off of his legacy is is amazing. Uh, Peter, if you don't mind, please take a moment out. Tell us how we can follow you on social media and where to find your work, please. Yes, we have a Twitter account. It's at the Donaldson Net, um, and we're posting stuff on that daily. Uh, there's a Facebook group called the Donaldson Network. There is our web page, which is uh, johndonaldson.bravehost.com. Uh, it has uh, nearly every one of John Donaldson's 422 documented wins, um, all of his 5,181 verified strikeouts. It's all there. Like I said, you could go there and, and do some serious digging and looking around and come up with your own decision about who or what, however you want to think John Donaldson's greatness is. But I can tell you it's unlike any other Negro league baseball site on the web. It shows you our work. I'd love to be able to see uh, all these games that we encountered, particularly against Smokey Joe Williams that we just talked about. Uh, I'd like to see the box scores for those. Well, how are we going to do that? I think there's room on the web to show that. I think people can understand that. I think people can look at that and can see it and figure out who some of these other players are in the process. Uh, that's what we need to do in terms of being encouraging to do that. So we are, a, uh, we show everybody our work. We advocate for John Donaldson and tell his story uh, because I believe his story is good. I believe his story can be great. I think that people have a great reaction to it. They understand uh, and can uh, and want to be a part of the solution. We're in a, a tremendous time of change. We need to be able to find ways to change. We need to be able to find ways to uh, to honor these guys who had so much taken away from them in their time. Uh, I'm just not going to get caught up in. Uh, a statistical analysis question about what John, because of John Donaldson's 5,181 strikeouts, who they were against and how that makes him stack up against the greatest of all time. Uh, 
I just don't see the necessity to do that. Um, we can do that. If you really wanted to do that, go do that. But my point is, is I think we need to get along and figure out how we can keep raising the, all boats in the genre because there are so many other great stories that people need to understand and need to figure out in terms of defining what the sport was at that time period. You're listening to a Bedford and Sullivan podcast, and our feature guest this evening has been Peter Gorton, founder of the Donaldson Network. I thank you for your time. Uh, on a personal level, uh, whereas I was once out of focus, I'm in focus, and I was looking to be uh, drawn to a path, and you gave me a great big shove, and for that, I want to thank you. Uh, well, you're, you're very, very welcome. <laughs> following up on it, and, and you know, I just think it's important. One day, I didn't know anything, or I was out of focus, as you say, um, and then we just worked, and it's worked. It is tough. We have to continue to be encouraging of people because there is lots of pitfalls that have here in this research as you go along and do it uh, many times when you want to just close the box and leave it alone. Uh, but what we've been able to sustain with the Donaldson Network and the uh, encouragement of many people, including yourself, uh, is be able to keep going, keep chugging along. And what has re revealed itself um, as a result of that is one of the greatest baseball careers of all time. Well, like I said, I, I just completed. I'm about to make my third pass on the 1904 season, Brooklyn, Brooklyn Royal Giants Good. inaugural season. And I thought about you the whole way through. Uh, and I plan on, you know, crossing those T's and dotting the I's on that season and moving forward. And hopefully one day I'll get to the completion of their existence. But I, I, I do that, owe that much of that inspiration. I do owe much of that inspiration Well, thank you very much. That's, that's, that's nice and keeps me, keeps me going uh, you know, there are ups and downs, roller coaster ride. But look, some of these techniques, some of the things that we have hard figured out through trial and error for this two decades we've been working on this, uh, we're here to share with people. I want to help you understand 1904, and I want you to help you understand subsequent years after that. Uh, but you have the ability to do that, and you have the ability to change what the genre thinks of those guys right now. Uh, can you go and I, I can't put a ceiling on what you can accomplish. We need to be encouraging of whatever it is you're doing. Well said. And, and you know, word to the wise for those listening at home. On behalf of Sam Maxwell, proprietor of a Bedford and Solomon, I thank you again for your time, your insights, your and, and the education. Really, Peter, thank you kindly. Uh, we do something we call a final word, and I will – defer to you, sir, for your final word. We all sit here in anticipation of this December 5th vote. Uh, I, I just cross my fingers and hope everything works out well and, and that your work, all your efforts are confirmed. Your final well, word, sir. So it's final word time, then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, John Donaldson's numbers are incredibly important. Um, they're not the most important part of his career. We're talking about 33 seasons. We're talking about 744 different cities in the United States. Almost everyone I know is hometown. Uh, we've amassed over 8,000 articles that document his career. Uh, 5,181 strikeouts today. Uh, 
422 wins. We have 160 games that John Donaldson's teams are known to have won that didn't list a pitcher of record. John Donaldson could conceivably have 100 more wins than that, and we already know those. Um, but I'm not about speculation. We're not about speculating. Satchel Page said he won, what, 2,000 games, struck out 10,000 guys. That's not what we're about. We're about putting the actual number in of the actual data, not just what the legend says. Uh, that's important. We have done, we've come a long way. If the Hall of Fame wants to honor John Donaldson, we would be, of course, would be in favor of that. Uh, how, it, how that may or may not happen, it's going to be up for debate for, for decades. Uh, the 2006 experience we had um, when John Donaldson wasn't selected at that time, we learned from that, and we didn't just decide we were going to throw it away and uh, go do something else. We decided to double down and make sure that the time would come that John Donaldson would be, uh, uh, would be considered again by the Baseball Hall of Fame, and that is this month. And that is a culminating effort of a lot of people who have, uh, who have contributed to this. What we want to do is tell John Donaldson's story, and hopefully the Hall of Fame likes what his story was. It's a Hall of Fame, not a Hall of Stats. Uh, the Hall of Fame matters. Uh, because they had the opportunity to uh, make him a baseball immortal. And that's um, where we firmly believe he belongs. Thank you for your time. I do appreciate the support of John Donaldson and the support of our effort. We can restore his legacy. Together we will restore his legacy. Thank you, sir. Thank you kindly. And uh, I'm sure after December 5th, we'll have much more to discuss. You have an open invitation. Anytime you want to come on, the door is open. Uh, and, you know, by all means, let's, let's plan something because this discussion should never die no matter what happens December 5th. I agree. Uh, thank you so much for that your That being said, thank you again, Peter Gorton, the founder of the Donaldson Network. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in this evening to a Bedford and Sullivan podcast. Good night and be well.